podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Hello and welcome to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Beautiful. It's pod 342. Wow. I know, crazy. crazy. And uh, this week we are knee deep in uh, lockdown football uh, and we've got two games to review, a 3-0 defeat at Leicester and a 3-2 defeat at home to Chelsea, which thankfully was a lot better than the Leicester game. Um, and to do that, I have Kevin Day. How are you? Uh, I'm all right. My ears are cold because I've had a, my first haircut. But apart from that, I'm, you look, I'm you fine. Look, you look fantastic. Oh, that's nice. You, you look tousled. Don't know what that word means. Taking it as a compliment. And moving on <laughs> to James Endicott, um, Hello. who also uh, looks fantastic. Although, like me, has chosen not to have a lockdown haircut. I've not had one since about 1982, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, no, sorry, 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 83. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah thank <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. Always yeah. important to get that right. Um, yeah. And joining us this week, um, it's always great to have him on the podcast. It's the Athletics Dom Fifield. Dom, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Are you okay? Everything will be all right? Yes, uh, I'm not too bad. And actually, after the Chelsea game at the weekend, uh, I'm feeling a lot better and I suspect... Despite the defeat, so a lot of Palace fans are as well, uh, because there was quite a lot of positives. Now, Dom, before we came on air, we were talking to you. You were at the game, obviously covering it for the Athletic. Um, what was it like being in the stadium? Obviously, we've only watched it from home, and you can choose crowd noises and non-crowd noises. What was it like sort of being at Sellhurst with, with no crowd during a game? Well, it, it was weird, don't get me wrong. Um, I think it helped that the game was entertaining, and you got... You got caught up in it in a way that you would have done with a crowd there. It would have obviously been better with a crowd there. Um, yeah, and I confirm that Ray Lewington never stopped shouting, and uh. Roy's actually <laughs> quite quite loud as well with, with some of the instructions that he that he barks out onto the pitch. And it's it's constant. It's, that was quite surprising. And as much as a, it's constant encouragement. It, it's reminding professional footballers of what you'd expect they would do naturally, but they're doing it all the, all the time and they must be hoarse at the end of games. Um, I was saying to you beforehand, it was, that's the fourth game post lockdown that I've done. And the other three have all had piped crowd noise into the stadium. They've all been in the championship. Um, and as a one-off, it was, it was an interesting experience. It was much better than say Croatia nil, England nil in Reykjavik, <laughs> I think someone like that. I can't remember. It's more obscure in Croatia, but but I still think that it actually it helps having a bit of pipe crowd noise in, having an, a, a crowd noise of some kind in the stadium just adds to it a bit, even though it's so artificial. Um, and I do wonder whether the Premier League, well, I mean, look, it doesn't matter because no one's there to watch it, that everybody on the, who's watching it on the box can, can have that if they want it. Um, but for the players, I wonder whether it might help a bit, particularly, you know, Dower games. Dom, being a journalist and writing about the game, did you get any more insight by hearing all the players shouting at each other? Do you, do, I mean, do you do you watch a game in a different way or not at all? 
uh, my first task post lockdown was I was told by my editor to go and do a piece at a game about what footballers say to each other out on a pitch. Right, okay. which is quite as, a, as an idea is quite interesting. Yeah. Um, so they sent me to Luton where they pumped in crowd noise, and then they sent me to Charlton where they pumped in crowd noise, and then they sent me back to Luton to actually do the crowd noise and operate the scoreboard. Um, so I learned absolutely nothing about what footballers say to each other on the pitch. Um, it, to be honest, having listened to the Palace players yesterday, I mean, and and Chelsea players, uh, a lot of different languages, which I suppose you'd expect, but I still find it quite interesting that Kepa communicated in Spanish with his, his defenders. Um, yeah. I thought a lot of the stuff they shout is probably what you hear on Hackney Marshes. Yeah, right. It's, okay, it's completely yeah. predictable. Yeah, um, tight, tight. <laughs> you know, stay with your man. <laughs> Concentrate, Patrick. What you're doing? You know, things like that. Benteke, <laughs> <laughs> the goals that way. <laughs> I, was I, well. Dominic, I always, Dominic, I always like it when at a corner somebody shouts away. Yeah, it's a as our central defender is going to go. I'm not entirely sure what I'm supposed to be doing here. Unfortunately, that's the Palace players doing it at their own corners. Yeah. What did what language did they shout a guy to in yesterday for letting a goal in at his near post like that? There was no. To be honest, you didn't you didn't hear that. Scott Dan shouted out after the first goal and 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 the delay when Gary Cahill was being carried off the pitch he, he was sort of saying come on you know come on boys let's get back in it heads 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 you know um get focused again and 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 he became the sort of more vocal member I imagine that Gary Cahill would have performed that role had he been on the pitch um he was arguably more vocal than Luca um although Luca was the first one to to go and talk to the referee and to and to, to make his displeasure obvious to the referee whenever there was the an incident, etc., that was controversial. It was quite an interesting experience hearing them, but I don't think it was anything that we wouldn't expect, to be honest. Right. Yeah, I think they have to keep the messages quite short as well when they're coming from the sidelines and stuff because it's all happening so quickly. Because yeah, I'm, t- I'm like you, yeah, I was like, I'm fascinated to find out what they say, but it is literally stuff that you would hear at Sunday League, but it has yeah, to be quite was, short and sharp. There was an interesting one when we were 2 0 down and Joel Ward conceded a, a free kick in in our near our corner flag, or sorry, where Chelsea were attacking. Um, and Wilf lost the plot. He was really angry and he was making it obvious. He was shouting. I couldn't make out the, what words, but he was clearly very frustrated that this, this free kick had been conceded. And Palace actually cleared the free kick, broke downfield, and the ball breaks to Wilf and he goes and scores that goal. And it's almost like his frustration that was uh-huh. evident in the shouting at Wardy. You know, he took it out on that ball. He, I mean, Cuarte actually wanted to get that ball, didn't he? The loose one, and he yeah. just sort of, no, you're not having that. That's mine. Um, but that, that was quite. <laughs> but then we all knew that that you know the wolf wears his heart and his sleeve on the pitch anyway. Yeah, and that was a superb goal. And actually, I, I don't want to end a part one. I don't want to talk about the positives because that was definitely a positive from the Chelsea game. But just on the Leicester game, uh, Kevin, let, let's start there because obviously it was. After the Burnley game a few days beforehand, I think we were hoping that Palace would sort of turn it around and put in uh, another a decent performance. It, it it wasn't as good. It was slightly better, but it still wasn't as good. It was it was off the pace. And the talking points really were the errors. The error from Guaita and then the errors from Mama Sacco. And Sacco has been a big sort of talking point, actually, over this week because he then came on for Cahill against Chelsea and I think put in a Sacco of old performance. So he's gone from basically a horror show at Leicester to a decent performance um, against Chelsea and in fact we had a question from PC Wires good old PC Wires who says did we get the best and worst of Sacco in those two games I, it, it wasn't just the Leicester game it was the Leicester game in the first 20 minutes of the game yesterday to be honest where we were equally not in it until Wilf's it turns out that all it takes to motivate Palace is a world class goal from Wilf that I watched um, a friend of mine had a properly socially distanced thing going on in his garden where he set a screen up and like a few of us went round to watch the game on Saturday and at half time we all said well that was that was terrible but that's what we do we, we you know we tend to try and bore people out of the game. And then the second half, we'll, we'll, we might nick one. And then since right from the start, it's just like we'll, uh, Roy didn't seem to notice that Leicester had gone to a back three, let alone try and do something about it. And the, the worst thing about the mistakes, 
I think Gaeta's slightly at fault for the second mistake as well because the fact that the ball doesn't have to clear the penalty box anymore doesn't mean to say that you can't just lump it up the pitch, which is essentially what we're much better at than trying to play our way out of defence. But the, the problem with those mistakes is that it allowed it allowed Roy afterwards to say, well, we're in the game, but what can you do about two individual errors? And in that second half, we were woeful against a not... A, a, a decent Premier League side in Leicester, not a well-beaten Premier League side, but we were woeful in that second half. There was no... It, it, it was fine. You, you get the players, a flat back forward, and there's a sort of flat forward in the midfield, or is it three? But then in, in the in the last third of the pitch, you, see, oh, you just couldn't work out what was what was meant to be happening. You couldn't work out what the plan was. And there's no, there was no forward passing. There was no movement. There was no pace. Wilf looked tired again and frustrated. And then, then suddenly, out of nowhere last night... After after Wolf's goal, we looked like a completely different side. It, it, the first touch was always positive. There was more pace, there was more movement, there was more energy. It, miraculously, it carried on into the set because half time came and you thought, well, that's it, we've had our 15 minutes. Then uh, it, we played really well for most of the, the second half. Giorgino came on, so between 80 minutes and 90 minutes, Chelsea managed the game really well and it looked like we were fading away. But then the, the last five minutes, we just went for it, we just battered them. And it's like, all, all I ask, we've, how many times have we said this? I don't mind losing to teams like Chelsea as long as we try and beat them. Yeah. That's, yeah. All, that's all I want is that we try and beat them. You, you, you look at their bench and you look at players that we've had at Palace and every single one of their bench, for the most part, would get straight into our first team. That's So you understand that you're playing against a, a better team with better resources and you don't mind losing because like last night, we had a go. We tried to play football we tried to win the game. Against Burnley and against Leicester, it, it, it didn't look like winning had been given to them as an option, essentially. And that's the frustrating thing. It's like, it, it's almost a season's worth of Palace. It's like, it's it's a season's worth of Sacco in two games and it's like a season's worth of Palace in, in two games as well. And that's where the, the frustration creeps in. When, you, when you're aware of how well we can play, when that happens... So rarely, it does get really wearing. Yeah, it does. I think, Enders, that Kevin's right that the errors, I think, against Leicester did mask what was a very flat performance. And it is almost like a bit of a get-out, actually, to use them. Uh, Although, obviously, they did change the game. You know, the the first one, Guaita probably should have come for it and just cleared everyone out of the way, regardless of who it is, centre-back forward. And the second one... When you've got a team like Leicester, whose front three are so pressed so high and are so quick, you just don't yeah. don't give them a chance. Either it should have gone wide to PVA or downfield or somewhere. Just don't give them a chance. Um, so I think it's frustrating. But then when you when you when you put it up against the Chelsea game, I think that was mostly bad luck. You know, the the luck of losing Cahill, the luck of of Scott Dan. So. It is it's it's it is very much two con- contrasting games and performances in the space of two days. But with the Leicester one, you can't you can't sort of help feeling we we almost sort of played in we we almost handed them that like we could have got a result there and we just yeah through our own sort of ineptitude. I don't really know where I'm going with this question. Actually, to be fair, no, I'm you, just, if you just pick it up from here, that'd be you great. Are, <laughs> that was rambling. You, you, you're rambling. Really you're, not rambling. Even, you're not dressed for rambling. Jay. You're, <laughs> you're, you're simply pajamas. just you're just answering your own questions and They're just waiting pajamas. to see. <laughs> can, can, can I say sorry, James, sorry, James? Can I just say the worst yeah, thing yeah. about the worst thing about the, the first goal on Saturday at Leicester was when one of the older members of the fraternity watching the game of us said Gaeta should have just thrown his cap at the, on that. And then we had we had to spend the next 10 minutes explaining to the younger people what exactly he meant by Gaeta should have just thrown his cap on it. And, it just like, it just and, and if you could as well, just now, that would be... Yeah. It's, it's what they say about goalkeepers, because goalkeepers used to wear caps. And they say, oh, you know, it's such a simple chance to take that you just take your cap off and you could have thrown your cap on it. That's what then... I thought it was. I just need to confirm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. <laughs> So over to you, Rambling, Jamie. You can't go from Rambling to nothing. What's the matter with you? JD, what's wrong with you today? Your hair's too heavy. Your hair's too heavy. And you're wearing pyjamas. I'm not wearing pyjamas. You're wearing pyjama bottoms. Look at them. shorts from River Island. They are high-end, high-street shorts. Shut up. That I got in a Christmas sale for £10. Okay, let me just... I I didn't hear a lot of your uh, ramble because my microphone went a bit weird. But what I will say is... (laughs) uh, Yesterday, we were awful for the first 20 minutes until Wilf got that goal. 
Okay, and it's interesting what Dom was saying that Wilf got angry on the pitch. I didn't quite, I didn't really notice that when I was watching on the TV. And we and we all know what Wilf's like when he gets angry. He either does something really stupid or he does something brilliant. Yesterday he did something brilliant, and that's changed changed the game. It changed the mentality of our team. It changed the way we play. It added an extra yard to everything we were doing. It made us more competitive. We got back in the game. We looked as though we could even win it at some points. Now. What there was something happened that made that that Wilf. I, I don't know. There's something happened. We need to find out what that is. So we can do that in games like the game against Leicester and the game against Burnley. Now I don't know what that thing is, but something. It was it was like two different teams out in that first half. It was two different teams. I mean, I don't know what it was like for Dom because he was there. Maybe he saw something. But what what was it that made everything change? It, it wasn't just Wilf. The goal is that everything changed after that. Uh, I'm not sure you're going to like my answer particularly, but I, I, I think a couple of things. Palace actually, for the first five minutes before the Cahill's hamstring pinged, they were actually playing some pretty crisp forward-thinking football. Even, I mean, Luka Milovievic got a lot of criticism on Twitter as I was looking at doing the game, but there was a crispness to his passing. MacArthur was playing really, really well. Forward thinking, again, they had the chance when Kepa scuffed a clearance to MacArthur. He, he had a first-time shot, which dribbled out for a corner, but it was actually quite a presentable chance. Then Cahill's hamstring pings, and the whole momentum of the game switches. Chelsea have got excellent attacking players throughout, throughout that team. They have brilliant attacking players. Young, naive maybe, Christian Pulisic gave... Ward as torrid a first half of that as I've seen anyone give Joel Ward. I mean, he 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 made him look average, distinctly average. Um, and so to 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 be dominated by Chelsea for twenty five minutes, I think was perfectly understandable. The change was the goal, which you could say yes, it was a wonderful shot from Wilf, but it was also a goalkeeping error. Kepper yeah. should have stayed saved it, and that sums Chelsea up. Chelsea. Brilliant going forward. I've watched a lot of Chelsea. They are atrocious at the back. They're not watertight in any way. It's not like the old Chelsea at all. I think they've conceded more goals than Palace this season. So you can get at them, and Palace duly did. They, they you know, they they they, they realised when once Wolf had scored that they, they had a bit of momentum again. It had shifted again. Chelsea looked a bit more nervous. They didn't have the sense of control until Jorginho came onto the pitch. Agree with Kev completely. He 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 shored it up for them for about 10-15 minutes. But we're talking about one of the best attacking teams in the in the in the Premier League, one of the worst defensively in Chelsea. We can't compare that to Burnley. I'd take Burnley's defence over Chelsea's every single day of the week. They are difficult to break down. If you concede the first goal to Burnley, you're in serious trouble, particularly if you're Palace. Palace aren't good at breaking down teams that sit sit deep. Chelsea came with them yesterday and Palace had some joy because they had space. Wilf had space. He had acres of it. In fact, I think one of the one of the goals, um, I think it was the, was it the first one that, that Chelsea scored yesterday. Palace had actually overcommitted players upfield. They actually had four or five players upfield, and they didn't have that because they had so much space to use. And Chelsea counted at them. Chelsea were better at counting than than, than, than Palace. They're a great attacking team. The other thing about Leicester, and and yeah, okay, that two bad errors ended up in a bad defeat and Palace looked very average during the game but Leicester are third they were third at the time they're third in the Premier League okay they've not been playing brilliantly but they've still got a hell of a lot of quality I mean and Palace have got a squad that that is stretched to breaking point with very few options to put on off the bench that will make a big difference I know this, I'm sounding a bit like Adam Sells already but this is, this is the way it's going to go today <laughs> well, it, but it's all true it's all true it is well. it's and I just I, I looked at these fixtures, even after Bournemouth, and and thought Palace get four more points this season from their last eight games. Then that that is probably what what the most I could expect. And I thought I thought they'd beat Burnley because if they had scored first against Burnley, they would have won that game, and they'd probably get a point at Villa. At, they might win up with Villa still, you know. But but the rest of them in these conditions, as we're playing football behind closed doors with against teams that can make five substitutions, yeah. including bringing mm. on three internationals at one point, whenever they fancy, um, we don't stand a chance against that. I mean, the, the vast majority yeah. of these games, I think there have been two upsets so far. West Ham beating Chelsea, and West Ham always beat Chelsea at the London Stadium for some reason. Um, 
and Southampton beating City. The rest of them have gone exactly as, as you'd expect them to go. All the unpredictability of football has been taken out by the fact you've got five subs and the bigger teams will be able to use their squad depth to their advantage. So losing to Chelsea... Right. Losing to Leicester. <laughs> but we could have saying. predicted that, Dom, as well, because that's exactly what happened in the Bundesliga. Yeah. There was there are no shot results in the Bundesliga because the top six teams have got ridiculous benches, like you say. Which is why today's yeah. news from that IFAB are now considering or are going to push for five subs next season is an absolute disaster for absolutely. competition in the yeah. Premier League. Yeah. It's an yeah. absolute disaster if it gets passed through. Yeah, I mean, Chelsea bringing on two players that combined for the winning goal in Ruben and um, Tammy Abraham uh, is a world away from the options that we have on the bench. I mean, <laughs> although, although we did bring on four internationals yesterday, yeah. weirdly. I mean, that, that's, that's, but it's did just, we? It's, we did. We, we brought, and they only brought on three. Um, <laughs> but but the, the, the point is that our squad are all getting used because all the senior players are having to play some kind of part, whereas Chelsea's aren't. I mean, Pedro. He's won every single every single trophy out there in the world game. Sat on the bench and didn't do anything yesterday, but they could have brought him on if they wanted to and stretched yeah. us even further. I mean, it's it's just a nonsense. And I mean, is that I'm guessing that is going to. I mean, obviously, we've talked about sort of how the defense is 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 aging, and it's an old it's an old team in general, but certainly in defense. So that's going to lead to more hamstring injuries and stuff like that. You know, especially when you're when you're pushing these players to play two games. A week, you're going to be more susceptible to injuries like that. To to, I need said veteran players. I mean veteran, but slightly. <laughs> that's harsh on Cahill. Especially he's younger than me. Um, but slightly <laughs> older players. Um, that's going to happen. And as and, and also Kevin, even though we do have four internationals on the bench, players like Max Meyer are still not coming on and having an effect. So it doesn't it doesn't really matter that. As Chelsea says multiple times, and I agree with him, we don't have the options to change games off the bench, no matter who you bring on. Well, it's difficult. It's interesting to compare Max Meyer coming on with Jorginho coming on, because Jorginho came on with a very specific role, which was to slow the game down, to control the midfield, to be a bit more combative in midfield, to stop Palace getting at them through the middle. And you're not entirely sure what what instructions Max would have been given to it, it with us for a lot of the time it's a change for change shape change sake it's a like for like change whereas clubs like Chelsea it's not just that they've got better players than us on the bench they've got a better variety of players than us on the bench because they can change the way they're playing if things are not working for them and and Dom's absolutely right about it. the five subs rule can't be allowed to, to stay next year also the drinks break thing can't be t- it was freezing yesterday it was, re- it was really cold yesterday and I don't live far from Sellers Park so it can't have been warm there but also it's, it, it means we're playing a game of four quarters and what happens with the better teams is that if you know, we were getting some momentum just at the start of the drinks break and then suddenly it stops and, and they said at the start when football came back it's only for drinks managers won't be allowed to be down there but of course managers are going down there coaching so managers are going down there coaching twice twice in each, in each game and they're telling better players to stop making mistakes essentially so that's that's it doesn't strike me as fair either to be perfectly honest Lampard, <laughs> Lampard did that against City and Chelsea scored both their goals immediately after the drinks yeah. breaks because they, yeah. they had they were fr- refreshed with the, the tactical yeah. game plan they were meant yeah. to be doing out there absolutely um, okay look I want to wrap up part one but just end as yeah with the reaction from the Chelsea game after that Wolf goal and the chances, and, and Dan hitting the post, and Benteke scoring an actual goal at Sellers. His first at <laughs> Sellers for over two years, I think, I yeah, saw on Twitter. Yeah. Great goal as well. Far, I mean, really far, what goal. a finish. What a finish. <laughs> um, is, it, is it leaving you feeling positive? I mean, Dom has quite rightly pointed out that the, the remaining four fixtures are, are difficult. Even the Villa game, re- I mean, they are not good, but they're going to be pushing for you know any sort of result. Does it leave you feeling positive, though, about the, the, the final sort of run of the season? It, it makes me feel positive about the club. It's, it's exactly what Kev was saying earlier on. I, I actually sent a tweet last night at about 20 minutes into the game, just going, I'm I really not sure I can even watch the rest of this game. You know, I was just like, I mean, it's just, it's, of course I was going to watch it, but I just said it. And then within five minutes, Will scored. I think what it proved, it proved that, you know, our team is not that bad and it can play. It just gave me that little bit of glimmer of hope that, you know, yes, we may not get any more points, but as Kev said at the beginning of, of the pod, it, just to see your team fighting for 
possession and trying to score and pushing forward and, and making a game of it. And it was an exciting game to watch. Even without it's a great game. It was it's a really great, great game. game to watch. I yeah. really enjoyed it. And you know, and, and I, I wasn't despondent that we'd lost or anything like that. I was I was I was buoyant. I was buoyant for our fourth loss on the trot. Which is weird, weird, but, <laughs> but, 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 but it's because we played well. It's, and, and it just gives it, it gives you as a fan just that sort of bit of hope. Hope for what I don't know. Just just, just hope hope that we just the season's just not going to peter out to nothing, yeah. and that, the, and that the, yeah. the whole squad and the club have gone to sleep, or they're already on the beach, as they say. Mm. But and I, and I think that was a good thing. It was it was a positive a positive game for a Palace fan. I think definitely. Well, some would say Ender's being positive uh, after a fourth defeat on the bounce would be typical Palace, but I'm not going <laughs> to do that. Um, and in fact, actually, um, Kevin, I want to end with a question uh, that I should have asked at the start, and some would say I'm doing a Brian De Palma narrative arc, but that's just the way I work on my podcast. From Julian Chenery, who my says... My podcast. Uh, wow. Not my podcast. Our, Interesting. our podcast. Wow. Everyone's okay. podcast. Football's podcast. Yeah, um, football's, football's the winner with this podcast. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy Bullard. Um, Julian Chenery, and this is talking about the crowd noises from earlier, and basically I forgot to ask it earlier, but he says... Um, would Palace have won slash drawn that game in front of the fans? Well, I have. To, well, Julian, of course, is is theatrical, so he he knows all about getting people into the theatre. He, he knows a, a performance is better in a front of a sold out theatre than it is in a half empty one. Um, I I personally hate the crowd. I hate the artificial crowd noise. I'd rather listen to the silence and the artificial crowd noise because it is an artificial situation, so there's no point pretending it isn't. And I, I think it, Gary Neville makes a say constantly. Every time Gary Neville's on it, he says, he said it the West Ham-Chelsea game. Imagine what the atmosphere would be now. He said it last night. This place would be... I'm, I'm not sure... I'm not sure whether I agree. I, I think sometimes the crowd can work against you because they kind of... They G you up too much. The players get too psyched up and go, and go gung-ho. And I... I, I, I think it's interesting when you, Dominic will know this, when you talk to professional footballers, they nearly all of them will say they don't really hear the crowd. They zone the crowd out. And it's like at, at the top level, I, I think I, I, I'm not entirely sure it does make a massive difference. I, I think as each round of games has gone on in lockdown, I think the football's getting better and more intense. I think it made mm. a difference at the start, but I, I don't think I necessarily agree that we would have come back and won that game had it been a, an evening game in February uh, with a full sellers part, to be honest. I think you're right. I think they do, sorry, Dom, I think they do block out the crowd, the negative stuff from the crowd. But I think mm. when it's going their way and the game is, the momentum is going with your team, I think footballers do allow the, the crowd to influence them. Is that is that fair, Dom? I think well, I, I was speaking to um, Andy Lonigan, who, who you might remember from the championship. He was yeah. always at the championship clubs that Palace played throughout the noughties. Uh, but he's now, believe it or not, Liverpool's full choice goalkeeper, and um, he he was saying that when when football resumed in silence, um, the Liverpool players sort of accepted that Manchester City would be the dominant team because every match would be like a training drill, and, yeah. and City you just can't get the ball off them. Or every match would be like a Man City home game. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he also said that with Liverpool, it, it would actually the lack of crowd might actually. Be to their detriment because their pressing and counter pressing does tap into the sort of crowd noise and does tap into the adrenaline rush you get from the crowd. So he he wondered whether that had sort of slightly dimmed um, or blunted, you know, how how powerful they could be um, in in football behind closed doors. I mean, obviously they've got quality players and they'll they'll, they'll adjust, but I still think despite what they did to Palace, um, playing against a Liverpool with a with a rocking Anfield behind them and, and playing in the silence against a Liverpool team are, are two very different things. I, I, I still get annoyed now. You hear commentators say, oh, oh the cop in, they almost suck the ball into the net. No, no, they don't. <laughs> if, if, that was, if that was a thing, we'd all do it. It's just like, it's, it doesn't give them a one-goal advantage. It's, you know, the, you know, we all know Liverpool, it's a fantastic atmosphere at Liverpool, but if, if they haven't scored in the first 15 minutes, there's silence until they do. So, you know, I, I think sometimes we, I think there have been games at Sellers Park where the atmosphere affects the away team, where, you know, they, they kind of think, oh, crikey, we're in a, we're in a game here, we're, we're going to struggle. But how much, it, how much it lifts the home team, I, I, I really don't know. 
There was I another, mean, there was a, sorry, sorry, Anders. No, I was just, I was just about to say, I, I think it affects the players. Mm. I mean, you look at someone like Wilf. Wilf thrives on being got at by yeah. the fans. Yeah. The, 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 the more the opposition fans get him, the more he gets riled and the more he wants to play and the more he plays. And that's not just Wilf, that's lots of players. Yeah. But I, I think there's certain players thrive on not just the home team, but thrive on getting a lot of jip from the opposition fans. Do you know what I mean? I think that's got to be yeah. a big thing as well. There was a lad at um, Brentford. Brentford played Fulham quite early on after the resumption behind closed doors. And uh, he was saying post-match that, okay, during the game, yeah, you miss the crowd. You know they're not there, but you, you get on with it. But the one difference was at the end of the game, he could laugh and joke with his mates in the Fulham team, the opposing team, out on the pitch. Whereas he, he, he wouldn't have stood a chance of doing that had there been crowds, a crowd in the yeah, stadium because he would yeah, have been given all sorts of dogs abuse. Interesting, yeah. yeah. Very true. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Um, right, let's move on to part two after the break where we'll discuss an article from The Athletic. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Welcome back to the Fabi Pan Podcast. Hey, 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 hey. 342 I forgot at the start I'm having a bit of a Palace against Burnley performance today aren't I um, I forgot to read out uh, a random patron so can oh. I get a drum roll please for Mr Rob Fair Hey Rob. Hey. Rob, you might remember from last week, is the fan from America who said he would join our patron if we read his email out. We did, and he did. He's a man of his word. <laughs> what a legend. Well, what are the odds that he joins this week and becomes a random shout-out? I mean, it's just, it's, yeah. just, it's just luck, wow. isn't it? If anything, it's just funny how the cards fall sometimes. Um, and yeah, you... you might like to shake the balls up in the, in the pot, I think, just... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, you can <laughs> join our patron. I was about to say something about balls then, but I decided not to. Um, you can join our patron uh, and get all the rewards that come with that at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. It's part two where we discuss an article from The Athletic. And this is a subject that comes up a lot on the podcast. So we're devoting part two to it. But before we do that, I don't need to remind you that The Athletic, a world-class team of writers covering every club, including the best coverage of Crystal Palace, a subscription-based website and app completely ad-free. No ads, no pop-ups, just brilliant articles. Welcome to the new home of football writing. And if you visit the uk forward slash FIP, you can still get a seven-day free trial and receive 50% off your yearly subscription, which is crazy. Um, this week's article <laughs> is by Matt Woodsnam. And he's actually put in quite a lot of work to this because the headline is called We Watched 165 Palace Corners to Find Out why are they so bad at them? Um, and you know what, Matt? Rather you than me, but fair play for doing that. And it is, Kevin, something that comes up in our questions on the pod a lot of times. And it's an interesting article from Matt. And I want to read you a section here that actually caught my eye and surprised me because he said, "Of, I mean, obviously the context is Palace are the lowest scorers from, in the Premier League from corners this season, which is one. Um, the highest is 10, which is Burnley, I think. But he said this, of Palace's 165 corners... 14 were taken short seldom for any reason other than, than to waste time of the 151 that were not taken short a further 14 failed to get beyond the first defender a handful over hit straight out of play over the remaining corners another 77 didn't reach a palace player at, at any stage we talk a lot about players not beating the first man 14 out of 151 doesn't actually seem that many <laughs> kevin <laughs> Oh, sorry, I thought you were still reading. I beg, you, I beg your pardon. I genuinely thought you were still no, reading. No, that was, that was um, me. It's, 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 it's a strange one because it's... Luca in particular, it's, it's, you can't quite work out why his direct free kicks and his penalties are so good. 
that his corners are so so average. And it's, and it's we've got we've got a fairly big team. You know, we've got big players in there. We saw in the West Ham Chelsea game how difficult Chelsea found it to to defend corners and not not complicated corners, not interesting corners. Just corners that are basically lumped in with a bit of pace onto the six yard box, and that's. It's the lack of pace in our corners and the lack of variety. It's very much the same. You know, occasionally, PVA takes one from the left, which is meant to be an in-swinger, but it, otherwise it's very much the dink over the top. Teams know what to expect from a Palace corner, basically. But I, I was surprised that Burnley scored that many, because to, to be honest, until they started banging on about it in the Leicester game, it, it never occurred to me that we are oh, almost terrible at corners. And, and I hadn't really spotted that, to be perfectly honest, because... Premier League football's not full of goals being scored from corners, really. You, no. you don't mm. associate every team scoring loads of goals from corners. Um, you kind of think, well, we defend corners quite well, but I, I hadn't really noticed that we were so bad at them. Now, now I can't get it out of my head. <laughs> I, I, I can't sleep at night now for thinking, why, why have we not got more goals from corners? It's, it's, it's ludicrous. Um, Kevin, can you name the one goal we've scored from the corner this season? Man City. The goal scorer, Tosin. Do you know who took that yeah. corner? Uh, I'm going to say because you're going to make me look terrible, Luka Milivojevic. <laughs> no, that would be the obvious choice. Enders, do you know who took that corner? PVA, James McCarthy. Ah, McCarthy. McCarthy. Yeah, McCarthy. Who's oh, taken four or five of the corners? PVA's taken some. Sixteen, sorry. PVA's taken forty-three, and Luka's taken ninety-six. The thing is, Dom, and obviously you'll know this. Chelsea have conceded the most from corners, I believe, uh, mm. this season. So actually, Monday night was a real chance to finally sort of get some more, uh, get some more goals from corners against Chelsea. And Palace again didn't really take that opportunity. No, maybe not, but I didn't think they were too bad, actually, the, the delivery. They, they mixed it up. PVA took some on one side and uh, Luca took the other side. There was a bit of fizz. I think, I think Scott Dan won a header with the first corner that Palace took and put it back across the goal, which was very much the same routine that they'd used at City. Um, and it's clearly something that, that, that Roy targets that that is one of their set plays i don't know who who quite does the set pieces at, at palace but one of the members of staff will be allocated um to to direct them um I, look it was it was an opportunity there um but i, I you know i, I wasn't I, I don't i don't think we, I don't think we missed out on getting a point because we weren't exploiting corners yesterday. We, it was actually the, you know, the width of a post that, yeah. Yeah, that was the reason. Um, I do think it's... The interesting thing is it contrasts so markedly from what we were used to. I mean, you know, the couple team... I mean, that that was our forte, wasn't it? I mean, the, the, the near post flick on someone, Andy Thorne, and then you'd have two or three people tearing towards the, into the six-yard box and, and out-jumping static centre centre halves. I mean and Pardew, when he came back as manager, had them doing that for a while as well. And the, the yeah. cup final being the the prime example. But I think we scored nine goals from corners in his yeah. second season, was it? Twenty sixteen, seventeen? Yeah, eighteen percent of our goals. Season, so. And then seven in the subsequent season, and it's been like four and one since. So it it is tailing off. Um but what I mean, look, Matt, you should have seen should, I didn't see it, but I, I heard Matt's face drop when he was told he had to do that. And, and what <laughs> um, <it was laughs> rather him than me, but but he did look at them all, and it is quite interesting. To, he didn't think the the delivery which Roy has conceded. He, he told the supporters' trust last the end of last year that we don't have a magical set piece taker when it comes to delivering a corner. We just don't have one. We don't have an Andy Gray yeah. or a Mark Kennedy. I think Mark Kennedy's probably one of the best corner takers I've seen at Palace over the years, but didn't do very much else. But um, it's not so much the delivery. It's, it's actually what you see in the, in, in the box. We, the times that we've prospered, we've had players blocking off opponents illegally, but doing it and not being caught. Um, we've had runners, we've had people losing their markers. Too often with Palace, the sort of we, we focus on the trajectory of the ball, but we should actually be looking at what's going on. Too many people are static. Mm. Chick Kyate doesn't really move and he's massive. He should be shrugging people off and, and mm. making darting runs. And it's no surprise that when you see the goal that we did score at City, it's a it's a lovely run from Cahill and and Tosin's made a run around the back and no City players picked him up and he's been free to put it in. I mean, it's it's almost like the 
a lack of movement and imagination in the centre rather than delivery has been costing them. Well, do you think do you think VAR's made a difference for clubs working yeah. out penalties because they know that if they do that physical blocking off, the chances are it'll be ruled out. Yeah, you're spot on. I bet I bet that's part of it. It has to be, doesn't it? I mean. I mean, to the, look at Jake. It wasn't the corner, but look at James Tomkins scoring against Liverpool. The goal that was rolled out for a push by Jordan Ayew. Um and you know that that should have been. That, that, you know, in the old days, that would have been given. No one would have noticed yeah. it. it. wasn't yeah, It wasn't yeah. affecting the trajectory of the ball yeah. at all. And conversely, you know, Roy made the point again towards the end of last year. The two goals we conceded from corners in the first five minutes at Arsenal, on both occasions, the man whose Palace have allocated to defend the near post gets fouled. I think it was James MacArthur both times. Mm. And and the VAR chose not to look at those and chose not to rule out either of those goals. But actually, I mean, he ends up ruling out the third goal that Arsenal scored that day from a set piece in the second half for, for exactly the same reason. So technically, mm. all three of them could have been ruled out. Would have been an easy 2-0 win for Palace. Um, <laughs> James, Matt does go on to quote those stats that, that Dom just did about in, in, in that 2016-17 season, nine goals, 18% of our total, then seven goals, 16%, and last season was four and 8%. And he goes on to say, it, this may be explained by the absence of Benteke from the team. And actually, that does tally up with the injuries that Benteke's had in those seasons. Yeah. When you don't have someone with that physical, physical presence, and we know how good he is at defending corners as well, by the way, on that, on yeah, that yeah. near post. Yeah, yeah. When you don't have someone like that in the box, I guess you are probably going to be left with <coughs> threat, aren't you? Well, yeah, but you just, if, if he's not there, you try and think of something else. I mean, <laughs> I mean, pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, if he's not there, sure, there's a plan B, is there? Sure, I mean, for a corner, I mean, I don't know. It just seems a little bit, it, it's, um, I mean, I always, there's always this thing about corners that, oh my God, we've got a corner, we might score. People very rarely score from corners, as those stats point yeah. out. But what it does do, it just increases the pressure on the opposition. Mm. And I think, I think uh, the point that Don made about the lack of movement in the area means that we're probably easy to defend corners against. We are never seem to cause problems. There never seems to be a mad scramble because this is happening. Just they seem to be quite clean cut our corners, the ones that we take when when they pass the first man. But I don't know. It's um it's a weird one, but it's um I just think that we play better when Ben Tech is there for a lot of reasons and that's one of them that he's a focal point. But then we've 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 got other tall players in the team. We've got Cahill, we've got Kiate, I don't know. I just think there should be a. I just think there should be another plan, really, but there isn't, obviously. Otherwise, we'd have seen it. A palace with Maybe. a plan B. Imagine that. Yeah. Um, well, oh, anyway, you can me. read Matt's article, which has got all that research into it. Um, and if you uh, go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash FIP, you can start a seven day free trial and receive 50% off your yearly subscription. Uh, right, after the break, questions from our listeners. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome back to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Hey, corners. Hey, <laughs> plan B. Imagine that. Um, right, it's part three, which of course is always question time. And this first question I'm going to put to uh, Don Fifield, and it's from Battle Johnny. Hey. Hello, Battle Johnny. Hello, Battle. <laughs> it says, um, how do the finances of the Category 1 Academy work? So obviously that... <laughs> <laughs> All right, you might not have to go into the finances of it, but I did. I thought we could at least spend some time talking about the category. It has been Palace have got the category one status, which has been announced this week. This is literally the only question we got about it, which is why I'm putting it to you. And, and, and Johnny, unfortunately, has a bit of a negative twist. He says, "Will we be able to afford the upkeep if we go down?" Uh, let's assume we don't. Uh, certainly this season. Um, how important is that category one? status for Palace that that's been announced now and I think alongside it they also announced the signing of 15 young players I think wasn't it to two year um, I guess scholar deals I don't know if that's what they're called yeah how important is that category we know that Palace have been desperate for that for a while 
Yeah, and and Palace should have a Category One academy. They they sh- they should, given the catchment area, given the the reputation that the club has for nurturing young talent. The, the very fact that they go all the way back to the team of the eighties, go back to the the Salakos and Shores from from the nineties, um, and 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 indeed the, the drip feed of talent that before Wilf and Wambasaka turned up on the scene. Um, they should have a Category One academy. It's it's a it's that is a, a brilliant legacy, whatever happens, of our Premier League stint, however long that lasts. And let's hope it lasts a lot longer than it, than seven years. Um, and it, it was, it's, it's desperately important to, to, to have that to stop the likes of Chelsea and Arsenal um, on our territory, basically. That's, that's the bottom line. I mean, look, look, everybody goes on about Croydon and South London being such a hotbed of 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 talent for young footballers and it and it genuinely is there was a when i was at the the guardian i think barney roney and then ed aarons both did pieces about the concrete um concrete barcelona type feel to to croydon and south london in terms of the talent that comes through it's a, it's a staggering amount and at the moment a lot of that drifts to other clubs I mean, the number of players that have come out of Croydon, I mean, I mean, Tammy Abraham scored against us last night and he, in South London. He should be playing for Palace. Ruben Callum had well. to Ruben lost the cheeks from Lewis. I mean, it's, all these guys are on our doorstep. And hopefully, if you've got a Category 1 academy and at a club where they know that you're not, they're not going to be going out and spending £50 million on a German striker or you know, £80 million on a Spanish goalkeeper, they might be more tempted to to pledge their, themselves to the Crystal Palace Academy than the Chelsea Academy or the Arsenal Academy. So, I mean, it's it's imperative and it's it's absolutely brilliant news, long overdue. Uh, I, the current management team um, won't see the benefits of it, but in hopefully in 10 years' time, we're sitting here celebrating a, a conveyor belt of talent coming into our first team. Yes, Don, but how do the finances work of the Category 1? <laughs> <laughs> okay. You have to, you genuinely have to, don't you? I mean, I mean Kevin, actually, you, you, I'm sure that your other podcast will be touching upon lists every week. Possibly, uh, yeah. But I'll, <laughs> even if we do, I'll forget by the end of it. But it's, it's not so much the finances that are important. Steve, uh, Steve Parrish has referred in the past to clubs like Arsenal, Chelsea and Spurs as, as predatory. Uh, and it, it means that, A, we can stop them taking our best players. And also, B, let's be honest about this, we can start to be predators ourselves. If we, we can go into other parts of London, we can start going to North London and say, look, our, our, our facilities are, which we couldn't say five years ago, our facilities are every bit as good. The potential here is every bit as good with our academy than it is at Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea. So, you know, you might have more of a chance of, of making it into first-team football here. So, uh, it just enables us to compete better for the pool of young young players because, you know, as, as Dom said, there's a reason why Tammy Abraham goes to Chelsea. And it's because, they, you know, a couple of years ago, you'd go to to our facilities and you'd go, I'm not, I don't want to play here. I don't want to be part of this. It's not fit for purpose. And now it, it is more than fit for purpose. And it, it, it's kind of one of those things that you, you want your team, your club to be professional and you want to have ambition. And this is a sign of, of, of that ambition. So I was really pleased to hear it. Yeah, I mean, Enders, actually, I'm, actually yeah. I was, as I was listening to Kevin, I was thinking, actually, it might have been a good week to get Travis on the podcast, talk about someone that actually been, yeah. played <laughs> at the academy. But I guess as a, as a dad of a former sort of academy player, it's going to be a, a world away from what it was when, when Travis was there and when you were there. And it can only yeah. be celebrated. Well, absolutely. I mean, he was there, what, he's, he's 23 now. He was there nine, nine years ago. When, um, when uh, Warnock was manager was when he was there. So is that nine, ten years ago? Yeah. But, I mean, I always remember going to, going to other clubs, going to Chelsea, uh, going to Arsenal, uh, Spurs, and all these other clubs. And their facilities were just, um, I mean, unbelievable. And ours was literally like a shack in a field in Beckenham. You know, and it was, and it was nothing else. It had, you know, the, that's nothing against the people who worked at the academy and all that. And it was great. But there was just another level. And a lot of the kids... A lot of the kids that I knew at that age in their sort of early, early teens, you know, uh, around that time that were in Travis's school and they were, and they were poached, you know, they maybe did a little trial at Fulham or something, or maybe at Charlton or Palace, but they'd often get poached by Arsenal or Chelsea. And it was the lure of those amazing, the amazing facilities and they bring in the moms and dads and they look at it and the moms and dads are wowed by it. And it is, it's exactly what Kev's saying, you know, if, if you're a parent of an 11-year-old kid 
and you've got and you're pinning all your life's hopes on him, which all these parents do, then you know you, you're looking at this or you're looking at that, then you're going to go with that because it looks yeah, better. Yeah. And you just are. You start, and it's got nothing to do with where the team are in the league or how if they've won a Champions League or that. It's just about your kid being looked after. I'm not saying Palace didn't look after their kids because they did, but now they've got the facilities to prove that as well. And I think it's, it can only be a good thing. Yeah, they do look fantastic. And of course, Kevin, you, you're going to have the Wilfred Zaha factor, the Aaron Wan-Bissaka factor. You know, of players course. that have, yeah, have yeah. recently obviously come through the academy and, and done very well. And and of course, we're going to get questions. And, I, and you see a lot on Twitter and stuff. People saying, well, now we've got this Category 1 system. Why are we not chucking kids into the team? And, you know, ah. why is Brandon not playing? And all this kind of stuff. But as Dom says, it will take time. This is not an overnight thing. This is something for the future. And hopefully we will four five six years down the line see a, t- a palace team that's got that's filled with half you know half of the academy kids or something like that but this isn't going to be an overnight thing it doesn't mean that Roy's going to start playing Brandon and and uh Tyrek Mitchell you know in the last four games of the season well we've had a success as a man- of managers and we've talked about this before Allardyce in particular who don't want to play kids in the Premier League full stop because they say that academy football is a virtually a non-contact sport and doesn't prepare youngsters for the for the rough and tumble of the Premier League anyway other managers like Frank Lampard partly because he had no choice are more, are more uh, willing to, to play youngsters so if you've got a manager whose attitude is, is against playing young people there's no point in having a brilliant academy anyway to be perfectly honest but also what you have to remember about young players coming through is and, and James and Travis know this more than anybody else is that one out of a hundred maybe is, is getting anywhere near the, the first team is getting the contract so that's the other thing and he, so you can't always assume that it, it, it's going to be brilliant but you you have to you have to give it a go and you have to make them you know we've leveled the playing field in the local area basically by doing this so I, I, again I'm all for it check with Matt by the way and and Matt Matt knows his stuff Matt Wisdom about the academies he, he thinks it's about three million pounds you have to spend every year to maintain it that you're, you're pledging to do that if you're cat one wow oh, okay. so that's what pilots will be doing and but look, it's so important. It's it's a, it's it, it creates it's a hub for the community as well. It's it, you become you become a hub, more of a hub when you've got a thriving academy because you've got kids coming from across South London to join it. It expands the name of Crystal Palace. It's 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 so positive, um, and and it's and it's an investment. It's an investment. I mean, look at Chelsea. Chelsea probably I don't know, I don't know what the numbers would be, but they've got this a fantastic. Academy that, that has been producing talent, but it hasn't always been producing talent for Chelsea. They've sold a lot of that talent yeah. on, and they've it, it's self sufficient as a as an operation because only you know they only have to sell one or two of the the players that aren't going to make it at the in the Chelsea first team to a Championship club, and you've paid for your academy for that year years to come. Tom, if you'd only said three million quid ten minutes ago, we'd have been finished by now. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's all you need to do. Sorry. That would have been it's a, it's, it's a, <laughs> It's very interesting what you're saying about it being part of the community. I was watching an interview with Jurgen Klopp, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and there was, you know, I think the interview was saying, look, you've got the Champions League, you're in the Premier League, you know, what's next to this team? He said, it's all about the young kids. He said, he says, in 15 years' time, wouldn't it be great if every player that was playing for Liverpool was from Liverpool? Yeah. He said, that, yeah, that, yeah. that, that is the dream. And I guess in a sense, if, you get, if you're at that level, that is kind of a dream for a, a team. To get every, imagine that every, everybody came through your academy at least, maybe not all born within Croydon or within Liverpool or whatever. But and I, I thought it was a very, a very good way of looking at it, a very positive way of looking at it. I mean, obviously he's he's playing to the Liverpool community, to the the, the, the people in Liverpool. But you know, I, I, I thought it was. I thought it was good. It wasn't like we just want to go and buy all the best players in the world. Mm. We want every mm. we, we want every player in our team to come from the local area. And I thought that was a, a, a good thing to say. Well, in, in, in Glasgow, and does they still talk about the fact that the Celtic team won in 1967? Every single one of them were from within three miles of the city centre. That's know, a remarkable achievement. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely the dream for any club, especially for Palace. Um, right, quick question about Benteke, because I wanted to do a quick nod to Benteke and PVA. Uh, who were both excellent, I thought, um, against Chelsea. Benteke in particular, who obviously comes in for a lot of stick for his, uh, I was say, goal-scoring record, lack of goal-scoring record, um, but obviously did notch his second goal of the season uh, from about 30 yards, I think we'll call it. Um, Dom, 
A question here from Terry Lee. He says, is Benteke going to start scoring 15 goals again a season? I suspect that's probably a bit tongue-in-cheek, although maybe not. Um, will he get one against his old club on Sunday? Um, have you seen anything from Benteke in the last few weeks? I actually think he's been one of our sort of best players since lockdown that makes you think that we might be starting to finally see Benteke of old. I think it's probably unrealistic to think you're going to get the, the, the rampaging Benteke that, that did so well at, at Villa and earned himself that move to Liverpool. Um, I don't think 15 goals is is probably not realistic. But I, 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 as Ender said earlier, he is so integral to everything Palace do. It, I don't think it necessarily matters so much if he's he obviously has to contribute more goals than he has been in the last three years. Although he has now got twice as many as last season. So in fairness, <laughs> that's not about. He does it again next year. Um, it's it's you know he he is he he is a linchpin for that front line and and if, if he's playing well and he is playing confidently at the moment and and his strength is is such an asset if he's holding the ball up as well as he does he can bring others into play he can get Zaha running off him into space he can occupy defenders and create space that way he can also be he can also bruise people he can he can hurt them in the air and you know we've we've lacked all of that when in his absence I and mean, when he wasn't playing it was a Burnley game wasn't it where yeah. he was felt his absence was felt most keenly i mean he, you'd have fancied us to well, certainly not to have conceded the goal that we did if he'd been playing, but but also we might have we might have been able to ruffle some feathers at the other end a bit more than than we did. So he is integral, and I think we just have to accept now that he's not going to be a fifteen goal striker, even for the money he costs and for the money he costs yeah. every week. But he he he's a, still a considerable asset for what he brings to the team and and what he and the effect he has on others. Yeah. I thought I, I, the Leicester game, I thought he was probably the only player that came out of the Leicester game with any credit, but only a Palace fan would notice that because you, we saw how hard he was working in the Leicester game for no effect because no one was getting in and around him. The midfield weren't getting out to join him. Wilf and A were kind of aimlessly swapping rings and didn't seem to know what to do yesterday. He had he always had options. He always he, he didn't have to hold the ball up for 10 minutes while somebody trundled forward. He always had three or four players around him supporting him and he looked to get those players in, in really quickly. And also, I don't think we should take the mickey out of his goal. It was, it was a proper striker's goal. Yeah, it was a proper... That's, that's what you want from us. You don't want your striker to score. Yeah, Wilf's goal was great, but you don't ask your striker to score 15 of those a season. You ask him to get in the box and, yeah. and do the tap-ins. And that's what most strikers will tell you. That's their their job. So, you know, the, the confidence is coming back. Because I don't think you'd have had the confidence to do that four or five games ago, to be honest, or, or when he was fit at the start of last season. And now you can see he's great into the game. And I was really pleased because that was a really good team move. As a, if Chelsea had scored that goal, we'd be saying, well, great, fair, fair play, top goal. And he, he just he was there to put the ball in the net. And that's what his, his job is, basically. And I suspect he would have been really satisfied by that, that finish. I agree. And, and again, you know, props to PVA for a fantastic movement and, and crossing the ball. And Maybe we can get a PVA Benteke sort of thing going on. And then there's just sort of last word before we move on to previewing the Villa game and on Benteke. And most football fans will say this probably shouldn't matter and doesn't matter. But I loved it when I found out that he'd made that donation of PPE to, to Palace yeah. for life. And yeah. I, I know that players do make do a lot of charity work behind the scenes and a lot of it's not talked about. And it's just something that they sort of do. But Benteke seems to be one of these guys that just... And it might be one of the reasons we support him so much through this Baron spell, but he seems like a genuinely really nice guy with his heart in the right place. He does gestures like this. We want him to do well so badly. And, you know, Arsenal fans will probably say, well, this doesn't matter. He's not scoring goals. Chelsea fans might say that. But for Palace fans, that stuff kind of matters as well. I think I think it's exactly right, JDS. I've always been very surprised at the lack of stick that he gets on the, on the Holmesdale um, I mean, yes, there are pockets of people that are anti him, and 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 I've shouted bald about him as well. But he always he's one of these. He just comes across as a really thoroughly decent chap. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And we, we we all want good people to do well in this life. And I think you know, and he he really fits in with the whole palace way. Really, I don't know. He just seems to want everybody around him to do well. He's um, I don't know. I just I've got a lot of time for Benteke, and it's proved over the last few games how important he is to us. And he's so important to us. Um, it's just a shame he just doesn't score more goals and unfortunately being a striker and having had such a, ri- a rich history of scoring he's, he's always going to have that around his neck that he's not a great goal scorer <laughs> but being a Palace fan and watching him week in week out we see his contribution so much more than you get you know from other players in other teams well said uh, let's wrap up our questions there um, and after the break we've got a very quick 
preview of Palace's trip to Villa. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome back to the Fiery Plan Podcast. Hey! Hey! Good old Pentake. It's preview time. Palace are away at Villa on Sunday. 2.15 kickoff, I believe. The next game is uh, against Man United on Thursday. That's annoying. Thanks, Premier League. So we will do a main pod, I think, before that. I don't know how we're going to do it. But anyway, let's focus on the Villa game, Kevin. We've had a question from Michael Phillips. Hello, Michael. And he says, is anyone else hoping that Villa score in the first five minutes on Sunday? It's got to make for a more entertaining game than the inevitable dull first 60 minutes. Villa scoring, then sitting with 10 men behind the ball for the last half hour. I'm glad that Roy's in charge, not Michael. But what do you make of that, Kevin? (laughs) Having what I've seen of Villa, and I've seen quite a few of their games, I don't think they're capable of sitting back and defending a one-goal lead, to be perfectly honest. I think... They seem to be a team whose instinct is is to go forward, and I, I think they will probably give us a bit of room. I'm, I'm quite pleased that they they're still in the hunt; that they could still survive because that will bring us attention that there wouldn't have been if they'd already been gone down and playing a bit of you know free and easy. But I, I they're not a good side, to be perfectly honest. We we should. Be, I mean, Grealish is is a, a really good player. There's no doubt about that, and he'll be in the Premier League next season if Villa go down. McLean's a good player, but you know they're they're not brilliant at the back. They can see they. I don't think they've kept a clean sheet since they've come back after lockdown. Uh, I, I, and what I hope is that we take a bit of confidence from. From this game and uh, from the Chelsea game and, and get at them, I think it's I, I can see us winning actually. To be perfectly honest, because I think w- what what we've seen since lockdown, the Burnley game is a as a kind of one off, but we're not as good as Liverpool and Chelsea, but we are better than Bournemouth and Villa, I think, and I think that will probably show in the result. Out there, yeah, I hope so. I mean, Dom, it really is, as you said earlier, probably the only game in our run left really that's targetable for a win. Although, as you know, Palace sometimes pull these random results out, and towards the end of the season, anything can happen. Am I right in thinking the last time we went there was when Wayne Hennessy chucked it in the back of the net? I think that's right, isn't well, it? He yeah, himself. A, a dreadful, yeah. So dreadful. it can't be any worse than that, <laughs> surely, Dom. <laughs> no, like, if Palace play like they played against Chelsea, they'll win because. Uh, because Villa's defence is not their forte. I mean, they're just not, they're not very good defensively. So Palace, Palace will prosper in that respect. And I'm sure there'll be particular motivation for, for Benteke in particular to, you know, to make his mark on his former club. Um, I can, I can see a scenario similar to previous years where I think we've sent down what Huddersfield, Stoke, Cardiff. Uh, There was another one as well. The the whole city. city. You know, well, really? we're, 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 we're sort of the executioners when it comes down to it at the end, don't we? So, uh, uh, and they can't go down mathematically on Sunday, but it's, they, they will. That, that is a game they have to win, which means they will have to come out and attack us. Which means they'll be more open. Yeah. Which means that Palace should have more space to exploit. And actually, Enders, it would be quite poetic if Benteke did score another goal against Villa. I will let you guys in on a little secret. Um, I put a bet on before the Chelsea game because I just thought. It, the way it's going, I fancied us just to nick it 1-0 and I went 1-0 Gary Cahill. And then after five minutes, <laughs> I thought I probably shouldn't have done that. So I won't put 1-0 Benteke enders on uh, Sunday, but it'd be, you know, you could see it happening. Yeah, you can. One of the things I was going to say, I think there'll be a lot of fouls in it. There was a, a weird stat on the TV last night. Um, it was uh, the... The player in the Premier League who's got the most foul, you know, who's got the most, who's been fouled the most is Jack Grealish. He's on like 150. Second was Wilf on about nine, on about 90. And third was Jordan Ayew. Oh, wow. Yeah, really? so uh, it's a very weird. I mean, obviously, I don't know it properly because it just flashed up on the screen and then went away again like a, like a butterfly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, 
yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the game. Um, they've, they've got something to play for, which is going to make it uh, uh, entertaining. Um, yeah. As um, Chelsea had something to play for last night, you know, so it'll be, it'll be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I do think we'll win. I do think, because I, I think they, they'll be so desperate to win, as Dom rightly said, they'll just leave too much space. And if Wilf and Andros or whoever's playing are on fire, then I think we'll, um, I think we'll, We'll win. Good stuff. Let's end on 2-0. That. 2-0. Wow. Clean yeah. cheat, really. Okay. Um, let's end on that positive note. Uh, and of course, our patrons will get a post-match pod after that game on Sunday immediately. And we'll be back for the main pod at some point next week. We'll, we'll work it out. Um, but anyway, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Dom, thanks for coming on. Always great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for yeah, thanks, Dom. Tom great, Dom. Man. And great, Enders... great haircut, Dom. <laughs> Enders and Kevin... I, I just couldn't do it without you. Literally, you yes, could. could. Literally, couldn't. Uh, yeah. You literally, literally have done. Yeah, great job. And <laughs> <laughs> not, but anyway, uh, thanks for listening and uh, stay safe. We'll see you again soon. When it comes to business and meeting travel in Orlando, it's never business as usual. Sure, I could go on for days about all the incredible places to hold your meeting or the innovative industries that will make you feel right at home. But Dr. Michael Edwards of Ocean Insights said it best. Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. And when work wraps up for the day, the evening is just getting started. I'd love to tell you about all the 46 Michelin-rated restaurants, or the array of outstanding dishes that'll have you coming back again and again. But executive chef Guillaume Rabin of Lake Nona Wave Hotel can sum it up better than me. Orlando has a world of artisans, so you can try incredible cuisines from across the globe. It's so true, and there's so much more. So dive in and see what's happening in Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at orlandoforbusiness.com. Podcast Network.